Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, brought to you by Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Welcome to the Insurance Law Podcast, the broadcast about timely and important legal issues affecting the insurance industry. I'm John Zuba, editor of Best Directory of Recommended Insurance Attorneys. Joining me is Brendan Noonan from our communications team. We're pleased to have with us today Attorney Al Goldberger from the law firm of Brown, Maskowitz, and Callen, PC, in Millburn, New Jersey. Al is a partner with the firm and is the author of Sports Officiating, a legal guide, now in its second edition. Al serves as counsel to national, state, and local officiating and sports organizations and insurance carriers in the sports industry. He's a former college and high school game official and is also a regular contributor to both legal and athletic publications. Al will also be a featured speaker at the 2012 U.S. Lacrosse National Convention Men's Officials Council Program, which is coming up in mid-January. We're very pleased to have you with us today, Al. Thanks, John. It's great to be back. Our topic today is Athletic Codes of Conduct, and Does Your Insured Need One? And Brendan Noonan will lead off today with our first question. Uh, what is an athletic code of conduct, and, and who is pushing for this? Well, Brendan, sports organizations historically have developed athletic codes of conduct in various forms for many years. And we, we only need to look at recent events in the news to remind us that these codes tend to gather dust in the sports world for a number of reasons legislative attempts at codes of conduct for athletes, their parents, and coaches have roots as far back as about half a century. For example, uh, 1963, a Massachusetts statute penalizes profanity or slanderous statements directed at a participant or an official with a fine of $50. In the early 2000s, we saw a variety of jurisdictions enacting legislation that affects the conduct of athletic events. These codes typically provide for specific safeguards under a penalty of removal of participants or spectators from a venue, bans on an offending person returning to a venue until certain conditions are met, in some cases including taking an anger management course pending the return of of, uh, a spectator or a participant. Some codes require that all participants, kids and parents, sign an agreement to adhere to the athletic code in advance of participation. Other measures include withholding funds from organizations who fail to comply with the code and even criminal prosecution for trespassing if an offending person refuses to leave a facility after being directed to do so. Uh, What are the biggest concerns out there from a liability standpoint? Is it colleges, high schools, uh, town or amateur levels? Well, Brendan, clearly the concern in most legislative corners focuses on the lower levels of sport, where the ship is frequently steered by volunteers whose training, education, and abilities are problematic. Parents, we all know, often do not take kindly to their child being injured due to uncivilized conduct, nor do they take kindly to their child not receiving what they consider to be enough playing time or appropriate recognition by their coach, so that the sense of entitlement and expectations of those who participate in youth sports and those who watch all have led to liability situations, notwithstanding the other statutes we see in the sports areas, such as limited liability protection for volunteer coaches, etc. And as with any activity that is so heavily dependent on volunteer support, Coaches and administrators are not always adequately educated in the rules of the game and in the principles of safety that need to be in the forefront of any physical activity program, and especially one involving children. Uh, Al, how does the presence or the absence of an athletic code of conduct impact risk management? 
presence of a legislatively imposed athletic code of conduct provides legislative and sometimes contractual support for the proposition that participation in athletics is a privilege that carries with it some measure of obligation. Theoretically, then, the presence of an athletic code of conduct should enhance risk management as the participants and their parents are on notice of what's expected of them regarding the sports program. If the code is consistently and fairly enforced, this should have a positive impact on risk management. Conversely, the absence of an athletic code of conduct leaves what is good conduct and what is bad conduct to be sorted out by administrators on an ad hoc basis and under the shadow of their dependence on volunteers and sometimes enormous community pressure. This cannot be a good thing from a risk management standpoint. And which are the leading states uh, with regard to this, Al, and will other states follow suit? Well, the standout areas of the country at this point, uh, and I'm not bragging when I say our own state of New Jersey, I think is is one of them. Uh, The legislature in New Jersey has authorized all levels of youth sport programs right on up from municipal governments to school boards to accommodate athletic codes of conduct for youth sports event, and this has resulted uh, in the past decade in a number of municipalities within our state utilizing the statute to do this. Uh, Of note also is Macon, Bibb County, Georgia, whose athletic code of conduct guidelines were among the most comprehensive in the nation. For example, entering what they call the no-spectator zone is among several forms of ungenteel behavior that can be rewarded with a hefty fine and up to 50 days in prison. Out west, we have Oregon, where it's a criminal trespass if, if you're a disruptive person at a sporting event and ordered to leave and you don't do so. The New York City Council a number of years ago enacted a code of conduct for youth sports that affects all programs utilizing city facilities or receiving funding. This code establishes standards prohibiting verbal abuse, threats, and violence, and sanctions include banning of offenders from a venue and the requirement to petition the sponsoring organization or commission to resume attendance. Uh, What can insurance companies do to be proactive in this area? Well, Brendan, it seems to me anything that insurance companies can do to provide some incentive to sports programs locally and nationally to put athletic codes of conduct in effect would be helpful. Uh, There are a number of national programs uh, as well as the local recreation and and government and and privately uh, sponsored programs that that, uh, all need insurance and all could use some incentive for providing a mechanism for consistent enforcement uh, of a code that would result in arguably better loss experience. All we know about youth sports tells us that in too many cases, ignorance and neglect of sound risk management principles on the part of those involved in the delivery of these services point out the need for not only a code, but an incentive for administrators of these programs to preserve their program by utilizing some sound risk management principles, especially with the explosion of data regarding sports injuries and the consequences, uh, for example, of, of uh, violence that impact areas such as concussion, a proactive response from everyone involved in youth sport, including insurance companies, may be the difference between youth sport programs flourishing or falling by the wayside as liability and health concerns escalate. And one final question today, Al. Where do you see this all headed? Um, from where I sit, I see increased involvement in the state legislatures with sports, 
We already have, as I said, a groundswell of attention to the identification of factors associated with traumatic brain injury in, in youth sports as well as at higher levels, but particularly in youth sports. Uh, so we see that, uh, that youth sports carries with it inherent risk of not only injury but traumatic, permanent, life-threatening injuries so that there's even less need for outside influences from those who feel that whatever happens in or around the game is part of the game and should be outside the reach of the civil and criminal law. These theories no longer wash. On the legal side, as case law develops, it would not be unreasonable to expect constitutional challenges to some athletic codes of conduct. At the end of the day, though, I think the concept of legislating sportsmanship, as it were, may be the best alternative to the anarchy and just plain lack of accountability we see all too frequently in sports. Thanks for joining us today, Al. That was Al Goldberger from the law firm of Brown, Moskowitz, and Callen, PC, in Melbourne, New Jersey. Special thanks to Brendan Noonan from our communications team and to our producer, John Weber. And thank you all for joining us for the Insurance Law Podcast. To subscribe to this audio program, visit podcast.insuranceattorneysearch.com or go to online directories such as iTunes or Google or Yahoo's podcast directory. If you have any suggestions for, your, for a future topic regarding an insurance law case or issue, please email us at lawpodcast.ambest.com. I'm John Zuba, joined by Brendan Noonan, and now this message. BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is used by decision makers at insurance companies responsible for selecting legal counsel and representation. The printed directory is distributed annually to insurance companies, non-insurance companies, third-party administrators, and corporate counsel around the world, and the online edition is accessible throughout the year. Your listing in BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys is the most effective way to ensure that thousands of potential clients have access to your outstanding credentials. Here's why you should be listed in the number one insurance attorney reference. Your firm's credentials will be listed in our comprehensive reference guide, which is made available to thousands of insurance professionals globally, both in print and online. AMBEST listees are recognized as the most qualified in their field to represent the unique needs of insurance companies. Key decision makers rely on the directory to take the guesswork out of their selection process. They know that only the best are listed, those firms with a proven track record of excellence who are recommended by their insurance industry clients. And remember, one low rate guarantees year long visibility for your firm. We invite you to use our web application process to apply for a listing today. With our reasonable rates and broad exposure, there's no more effective way to get the attention of the insurance industry. For more information about BEST's directory of recommended insurance attorneys, visit www.insuranceattorneysearch.com. 